Welcome to the VO2 Lounge, a podcast dedicated to exploring the science behind current fitness trends. I'm not a sports scientist or a doctor, just an engineer with a passion for exercise performance. I spend hours delving into various sources and sit down a few times a month to discuss various topics, breaking down papers, articles and publications to better understand them, saving you from endless internet scrolling. Welcome back. And in this episode, we'll be looking into weight loss drugs such as Ozempic and Yovi and how they actually work. The sustained efficacy and safety of subcutaneous semaglutide for long-term obesity management. Subcutaneous semaglutide is effective for weight loss in individuals with obesity, emphasizing an 11.85% reduction compared to placebo. Using this drug and paying for it out of your own pocket is going to cost you at least 800 a month and up to £1,300 per month. For athletic performance, it's probably not the best choice, although with correct monitoring, resistance training, and protein intake, I suppose it could be made to work. Recently, I was made aware of Ozempic and other weight loss drugs by my mother, actually, of all people. And I tell you what, either I don't care about this kind of area of health and fitness, or I've been living under a rock, as I hadn't actually directly heard of these drugs for the purpose of weight loss, but it would seem they have been all the rage for at least one or two years, really. There seems to be articles and YouTube videos and bits in the media uh, going on and on about this new miracle formula. Um, originally, I thought this would not be relevant to people who listen to this podcast but it does seem to have worked its way into sports performance realm due to the weight loss effects and we all know how much athletes like weight loss especially in sports like cycling where power to weight ratio is pretty critical you have um, podcasts such as the train road podcast having uh, segments on these very drugs so for your benefit, let's start with what actually is Ozempic. Ozempic was and is a drug developed originally intended for the use by individuals with type 2 diabetes to help manage and lower their blood sugar levels. However, as a side effect, it also resulted in weight loss. In America, as of 2018, the CDC has categorized over 42% of the United States adult population as being obese, which is pretty shocking. And just to get my head around it, just imagine seeing every, almost every other adult being obese is just mind-blowing. Um, now, it's obvious that the government have struggled to get their people to hold themselves accountable for managing their own weight during this food-abundant era we live in. So having a drug that could do this for them would save millions, if not, an incredible amount more by preventing the frequency of obesity related in or induced trips to the doctors and the hospital whether that's uh, heart uh, issues whether that's sprains and breaks caused by lack of mobility may be hindered by their weight the list really is quite long as to what it could affect but the idea is you pay now to save more later is somewhat of an investment so how does Ozempic work? Well, let's start with uh, the basics. Well, I say basics. Let's start with what is. So Ozempic and other drugs like it are within a class of drug called GLP-1 agonists. Um, now, this is what I had actually heard prior 
to researching this further and obviously this is why I associated it with type 2 diabetes and hadn't ever really heard it in the relation to weight loss management or at least when I had heard it, it hadn't really registered because I wasn't particularly interested to some extent. Now you may also hear the name Wygovi and semaglutide thrown around. For clarity, semaglutide is the active drug in both of these um, brand names, so Wygovi and Ozempic. And depending where you are in the in the globe, different ones will be available, possibly both, but it changes depending on the health service and the government's decision on which is available for various reasons. Uh, now, glucagon-like peptide 1 uh, receptor agonist, which is GLP-1-RAs, um, which is what this GLP-1 is, are injectable medications for treating type 2 diabetes. Two short-acting um, and three long-acting options are available in the US in particular. These drugs enhance GLP-1 receptor activity, improving uh, glycemic control and reducing body weight. Uh, GLP-1-RAs work by activating the pancreas receptors leading to increased insulin and decreased glycogen release, both glucose-dependent, um, these. And additionally, they affect the central nervous system and gastrointestinal tract, reducing appetite and slowing glucose absorption. Um, commonly recommended as a second line of therapy, GLP-1-RAs can be used in combination with other diabetes medications, helping achieve better glucose control without weight gain associated with some agents. Uh, while gastrointestinal side effects are common, they're usually transient and less frequent with long-acting formulations. Now this is essentially why it's so useful for type 2 diabetes, because type 2 diabetes is effectively a glucose control issue in relation to bit different to type 1 or very different but instead of it being the inability to release um, insulin this is effectively an insulin sensitivity issue is you are just pumping a huge amount in to get the desired effect and these GLP-1 RAs are alleviating said issue so that you can have a more normal uh, response to glucose and a more normal method of managing glucose. Now, before going on any further, it is worth mentioning that my last episode was actually on how to get lean and lose weight. That was more targeted at people on the lower end of the scale, so maybe 25%, trying to get to 20, 15, 10%, and it was without the use really of exogenous substances like these GLP-1 agonists. I had no intention of making this episode afterwards as weight loss strategies are not actually of particular interest to me. They kind of just happen dynamically with where my sports focus is going and it's a, an effect of the sport I'm playing. So why am I doing this episode, you may ask? Well, I think from the headlines, things are look a little bit too good to be true. And when anything like this, I think people miss key bits of information uh, that are present in full studies when they read uh, simply news headlines. If you're still listening, I think it's worth going back to a previous episode as it has some important information on weight loss that helps give context to the episode without actually meaning to. 
and I think it will highlight the fact that there are a large number of factors that should be in place before considering these GLP-1 agonists to aid weight loss. But let's carry on with looking through papers. I'll try to keep these in chronological order, at least regarding publishing dates to make following things a bit easier and for the listener to understand slightly of how the evolution of things has gone, but it's not that longer history that I'm going to be looking at. The first study is titled Effects on Continued Weekly Subcutaneous Semaglutide versus Placebo on Weight Loss Maintenance in Adults with Overweight or Obesity, published in March 2021. Uh, the study included adults uh, aged 18 years or older with a body mass index or BMI of 30 or higher or a BMI of 27 or higher with at least one treated or untreated weight-related uh, comorbidity. Participants need to report at least one unsuccessful attempt to lose weight through dietary efforts. Exclusion criteria included uh, hemoglobin A1c of 6.5% or greater, self-reported weight change of more than 5 kilograms within 90 days of screening, and the presence of type 2 diabetes. Race and ethnicity were recorded based on fixed selection uh, categories. Now, the procedure they used, all participants initially received open-label once-weekly subcutaneous semaglutide, starting at 0.25 mg and increasing to the maintenance dose of 2.4 mg by week 16. That Those figures are somewhat important because later on when we talk about the costs, you will hear these uh, units of measurement uh, recorded. Uh, so this open-label period continued until week 20, um, which is considered the running-in period. Participants eligible for a randomization at week 20 had to have reached a target maintenance dose of 2.4 milligrams by week 16 and continued this dose until week 20. Uh, during the randomized period, so weeks 20 to 68, eligible participants were randomized in a 2 to 1 ratio to either continue semaglutide or switched to a matching placebo. Now, the randomization was done in a double-blinded manner. Participants unable to tolerate semaglutide, uh, 2.4 milligram per week during the randomized period were allowed to receive 1.7 milligrams per week at their treating investigator's direction. So you can see here that these are weekly doses, this amount. Um, all participants received a lifestyle intervention throughout the study uh, between weeks 0 and 68. This uh, intervention included monthly um, counselling by qualified healthcare professionals, either in a uh, in-person or by telephone manner. Participants were prescribed a reduced caloric intake of uh, 500 kilocal per day deficit to estimate energy expenditure calculated uh, at week zero and increase physical activity to 150 minutes a week, recording daily. Um, recorded daily by participants and reviewed during uh, counselling visits. In the multi-centre randomised clinical trial, continued once weekly treatment with subcutaneous semaglutide, resulting in present weight loss, while participants who switched to placebo experienced weight gain. The study demonstrated uh, sustained benefits for weight circumference, systolic blood pressure, um, and SF36 physical functioning scores with continued semaglutide. So you can see here how 
they had all these other factors to promote weight loss and general health and then the individuals who continue to just do these interventions and remove semaglutide then experienced some weight gain. For those who continued semaglutide after randomization weight loss achieved during the run-in period not only was sustained but continued reaching a plateau at week 60 to week 68 resulting in an estimated reduction of 17.4% over the entire trial. In contrast, participants who switched to a placebo gradually regained weight. Uh, these findings emphasize the chronic nature of obesity and the importance of treatments that can maintain and maximize weight loss. Now, on the long-term basis, 40% of participants who continued semaglutide lost an additional 10% of body weight during the randomized period, supporting its use for long-term obesity treatment. And then furthermore, 64% of those taking semaglutide for 68 weeks lost at least 15% of their initial body weight. And then in summary, the study highlights the sustained efficacy and safety of subcutaneous semaglutide for long-term obesity management, demonstrating its potential as a valuable treatment option. Now, this is really the kind of crux of why this is such, I guess, a big deal for people and so big in the news at the moment is these trials that have shown drastic weight loss. Key phrase here being weight no uh, definition of where the weight is coming from but there is the evidence is clear in the sense that with and without the difference is fairly drastic next to get a better understanding of uh, the side effects because in the previous paper they were sort of mentioned but in not too much detail just saying that they tended to go away after a period of uh, sort of habituation to the drug um, we have a paper called Wagovi uh, semaglutide a new weight loss drug for chronic weight management published in October 2017 uh, the most frequently reported adverse effect of semaglutide during the sustained clinical trial were gastrointestinal side effects, particularly nausea, vomiting. Uh, patients taking semaglutide experience these side effects more frequently than those using competitors in the sustained pioneer and step trials. However, most episodes of nausea and vomiting were transient. The incidence of these side effects was higher at higher doses of semaglutide and among individuals with a lower baseline BMI values. They're also, um, they, they just generally concluded in this paper that semaglutide is not only superior at reducing body weight compared with other anti-diabetic drugs, but it's also cardioprotective. Another significant benefit of semaglutide is that it can be used for long-term management of weight. With the recent approval of Wagovi, we conclude um, we could expect improvements in uh, patients' weight loss-related outcomes and quality of life. This is directly from the paper. Um, the high cost of IOV can make it unaffordable for many patients unless it's covered by insurance, is what they state. In addition, this medication is supposed to be used for a long-term weight management, which can add high cost to the management of obesity in general and a growing uh, pandemic is how they describe it 
Um, a cost-effectiveness analysis of YWV will help clinicians decide if it should be preferred compared with other weight loss drugs. However, a long list of insurance and prescription benefits plans uh, can make it impossible to determine if the medication is covered, which can be another barrier. Now, that's particularly the US. Now, for some insight into the cost in relation to the UK, there is a possibility of having it prescribed if you meet a given criteria. However, if not, it would seem that you can purchase only Wigovi. Um, and that criteria looks to be specifically for type 2 diabetes. So it looks like it at the point of recording here, it appears, don't take my word as gospel, but that it has been removed as a primary weight loss management option. So I had a look around to have a look what you could, what is possible. So on a site called Mayfair Weight Loss Clinic. Now, for those who don't know, Mayfair is one of, if not the most expensive area in London, which is the most expensive place in the UK. So to these people, the cost may not be much, but it is for the rest of us. And kind of the fact that it was based there kind of summarized to me that, man, this is really, it's an expensive option and you're targeting a specific kind of person. But straight from the website, you got YOV medication features, latest alternative to Saxenda. Uh, one pen equals four weekly doses lasting for a month. Once weekly semaglutide weight loss injection, loss up to 15% of your body weight. Um, and then it's asterisk combined with a regular physical activity and well-maintained diet for best results. So obviously people are covering in themselves, but you know full well that people are coming here and looking at it and going, this is a one-stop shop, take this, happy days. Um, so YOV is a once-weekly semaglutide weight loss injection um, and the recommended first-line treatment option for weight loss by the medical experts at Mayfair Weight Loss Clinic. It contains the same active ingredient as Azempic and semaglutide, which is semaglutide. Each pack of YOV contains four weekly doses. Price included prescription. So the 0.25 milligram is 200 quid. The 0.5 is again 200, 1, 200, 1.7, 270. And then the 2.4 is uh, 330. To me, it appears that that is then your monthly rolling cost, which to some people may not be a lot, but it's not exactly cheap. Now, if it's still something you're interested in pursuing or it's just something you want to hear about, we can look at uh, a meta-analysis titled Efficacy and Safety of Semaglutide for Weight Loss in Obesity Without Diabetes, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. So there are, according to this, cases where people are obese, do not have type 2 diabetes, maybe they are pre-diabetic, I suppose it depends how quickly you put the weight on, how long you've been overweight, so on and so forth. But they're looking at it with the lens of effectively people being issued this if they don't have type 2 diabetes and purely as a weight loss management option. So this meta-analysis discusses the investigation of semaglutide for the treatment of obesity primarily, focusing on its association with weight loss. Semaglutide, originally approved for diabetes, has shown promising results in trials for weight reduction. Obesity poses significant health and economic challenges with guidelines recommending 5-10% to weight loss to improve metabolic function. 
Their review incorporates four double-blind randomized control trials conducted between 2018 and 2019 involving 3,613 participants, and the combined results indicate that semaglucide is associated with an average weight loss of 11.85% compared to a placebo. Uh, notably, participants in these trials had previously attempted non-surgical weight loss without success. So the vast majority of the population who end up here have some point tried to lose weight and haven't successfully either removed it in the first place or kept it off. Now, much like all the other studies, uh, the subcutaneous semaglutide is deemed effective for weight loss in individuals with obesity, emphasizing an 11.85% reduction compared to the placebo. However, it highlights higher risk of a gastrointestinal adverse effects, um, treatment discontinuation as a result, and serious adverse events in the semaglutide group. The need for long-term randomized control trials to assess efficacy, safety, and risk of weight gain after treatment after treatment discontinuation is emphasized. Additionally, the study limitations such as the predominantly white participant population are acknowledged, suggesting that a need for future research to explore efficacy and safety in diverse populations, uh, particularly among Asians. As to why they specified that, I'm not sure. You can see the idea now starting to crop up of, look, okay, great, they've seen all this weight loss. But what happens when they come off the medication? Do we find yourself in the same position that every natural form of weight, like unsupplemented form of weight loss, so just a caloric deficit uh, naturally occurring through restriction, people tend to put the weight back on. And it looks like there's no long-lasting effects from this medication. It's not like it lingers in the system for... A decade it's simply that you come off the prescription it slowly begins to decay and eventually people return possibly to their previous weight so the question for me now is where do we find ourselves i mean it's clear that these drugs do work in helping people to lose weight that is without doubt but at what cost because given the list of side effects it doesn't seem all that bad some gastrointestinal uh, discomfort unless it's to the point where it is actually causing you distress and harm if it is just a period of stomach cramps and so on that then is resolved then it's not all that bad it has been suggested that maybe undiscovered side effects from chronic use could be something or more in line with my thinking is that what happens when you come off the drug as we already know that most people who lose weight regain it within five years or you would do if you had already listened to my previous episode little shameless plug but after some time looking through the study and meta-analysis i realized that all the studies simply referred to bmi changes and weight loss no mention of where the weight is coming from like fat or lean mass i mean anyone who's been interested in any kind of strength sport or bodybuilding in particular knows that when you lose weight you want to do it in a way that means you preserve as much lean mass as possible at the end of the day the aim in those situations is to get lean, so a loss of some mass is okay because if you're a bodybuilder, you want to look good on stage. So some loss of mass, as long as it's not too much, is okay. But I figured I would take a look online and see if there was anyone talking about the administration of these drugs in a 
practice or if they had used them, any side effects they had seen. And generally, you just had people who maybe had been on them for a short period of time and said, wow, look how slim I've got. And this is the easiest it's ever been. Then I came across a uh, Peter Otier Drive episode, The Drive, where there was a small snippet referring to these uh, drugs. And they was discussing this exact point. Turns out that the FDA does not accept DEXA results as a primary outcome in weight loss studies. Now, DEXA scans are just a, if you don't already know, they're just a form, a way of getting your uh, body composition in terms of lean mass, fat, uh, bone mineral density, so on and so forth. It turns out that is not accepted. Instead, they use weight loss, total weight loss. Now, what this does is results in drugs that result in the greatest total body weight reduction getting the spotlight while drugs that target fat mass and result in a lower overall weight reduction do not get the same um, time in the limelight essentially it's that you are trying to get the greatest weight reduction and when you can attack two one's not really an energy store but two mass storages in fat and muscle then you're going to obviously end up with the greatest reduction this leaves people unknowingly somewhat i don't like using the word crippling but crippling themselves with a reduced muscle mass that they will struggle to regain and there are very few people likely looking to use this drug that can afford to lose mass now i suppose it could be if you're like a 20 year old male who's managed to get themselves obese and then this drug is an option i suppose that's the kind of person who's greatest prepared to do it because they still haven't hit physical prime. There's so much testosterone in them that they, they can put the mass back on. I mean, loads of teenagers get to 20 and haven't ever been in the gym anyway. So it kind of doesn't matter. But if you're like a 50-year-old woman, for example, or even a 50-year-old man, and your BMI is like 35, 40 or whatever, you got, you've got 45%, 40% fat mass as your overall weight, and then you lose the little lean mass that you have, that can be quite crippling because regaining that mass is going to be really, really hard. So for athletic performance, it's probably not the best choice. Although with correct monitoring, resistance training and protein intake, I suppose it could be made to work. You could start applying some of the principles used like two grams of protein per kilogram and use that to try and preserve as much lean mass as possible. But almost why not just go through the regular process of caloric deficit two grams of protein per pound or sorry two grams per kilogram or gram per pound and just go about it that way so what would you take away from this episode would you still take these um weight loss drugs i personally don't i do don't struggle with weight management but i can see how the promise of a drug that can help could bring hope to an individual who's chronically um, suffered with the inability to maintain a weight in a healthy range but I think what all these studies show us is how they are not to be used on their own a holistic view should be taken on losing weight and even uh, Mayfair weight loss clinic whatever it was called mention it that this should be done um, alongside a correct diet and uh, exercise and 
given how much you would be spending on this if you were doing this privately, or even if you're not, but you're prepared to, then why not take some of that money, splash a bit more cash, and get some muscle mass monitoring to make sure you're not uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul and you're not losing this mass now to feel better to some extent to then affect yourself in later life. I think that'd be the wisest way of doing it. But always having a professional monitoring you along the way, whether that's with blood work, whether that's with uh, DEXA scans, whatever is recommended. But if it's just a straight up, take this, lose the weight, it's probably not the best way to go around it. But everyone is unique and different. For more content like this, explore my previous episodes and consider following, rating and sharing the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Share your thoughts or suggest future topics at the vo2lounge at gmail.com or on the vo2lounge discord server. Links down below. Thank you for tuning in and until next time, it's goodbye.